Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell, and with me today I have Will McQuillan, your MEC Chairman, Chris Gruner, your Negotiating Committee Chairman, and Ronan O'Donohue, your Strategic Planning Chairman. Welcome you guys. Thanks David. Thanks David. So we've got a number of things to talk about and let me not bury the lead. There's a lot about negotiations that we're going to go into and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But some other things that have occurred since our last recording, the company earnings call. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about that. And then some of the, we'll call them, I don't know, additions or, or things that the, the company has mentioned recently that they'll be doing with the trade desk, deadhead release email. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, just briefly about what happened with the latest bid. There's a lot of questions about that. It was a, a bit of a debacle of having to run it three times. And um, so we'll spend a little bit of time with that and then we'll get into the negotiations. So I'll throw this out to you, uh, Will and, and Ronan, the company earnings call. What does that inform us about negotiations going forward? How What is the relationship there? Well, I, I think that it obviously speaks to the fact that we're on solid ground and good soil, firm footing, whatever uh, you want to choose there, for being able to move forward with the contract that the pilots have, have earned. And that's, as we will discuss here later on, particularly important because we're moving into, uh, you know, kind of the end stages of negotiations and starting to address those economic issues. So I was comforted by the fact that, you know, we saw the second quarter record revenue at $2.7 billion pre-tax profits of 371 million, but also that that double-digit profit margin, 14%. That's good. And I think that, uh, you know, we can also, in terms of liquidity, 3.8 billion. There's a lot of statistics that are there in the, uh, the earnings call that everybody can go down and listen to, and that our debt is quite manageable. The analysts did take head-on the question of the uh, the pilot contract and whether or not that had been priced in. Um, but I do think that Shane Tackett's answer was somewhat informative as well. You know, they're looking forward to getting a TA with the pilots as soon as we can, and we understand the economic impact on the business and that it's totally fine, to quote him. We need to be at market, as he said, and that's uh, obviously something we'll discuss here shortly. So the, the earnings call was encouraging, obviously, and it just simply paves the uh, the path ahead to continue to move on the contract and where we need to go to finally have a TA to present to the pilots. Yeah, what I, what I would add to Will's point there about the uh, financial position that the company is in, it really puts us in a good position, as, as Will said, moving forward, it puts us on solid footing. The company's back on solid footing. You know, we got through COVID. We're back in a profitable margins. They kept quoting that they need double digits. They have their double digits. So it's time. It's now time. You know, we've spent three years working under this agreement that's that should have been amended two years ago, a little over two years ago, but we've been three years negotiating. And, you know, as you'll, as you'll hear from Chris here in a few minutes, you know, there's been more done in the last month and a half than there has done in the prior period up to that. So, Frankly, it's time, you know, any more, anything less than uh, an agreement that's equitable and is consistent with the company's margins. Yeah. And let's not forget a significant reason why they're in this position is the efforts of the pilots in the EIL program. And, you know, we, we did a lot to, as, as we predicted, we would get them to recover more quickly than they would have been able to had they not picked up that EIL program. 
Right. That was the beauty of the program. It not just saved money versus a, a furlough, but the biggest piece that uh, I think we're addressing on the backside of the pandemic was the flexibility element of it. The ability to recall flexibly and to be able to move forward as the recovery took shape. So uh, definitely. And as well as the fact that I don't think I have to say anything to the pilots that they don't already know that we have been very productive. We've been operating on stressed margins when it comes to things like reassignments. Uh, I think we all know, and the reserves can certainly speak to the fact that they're working very, very hard. So uh, a great deal of that effort and that sweat equity is what you're seeing in the, that earnings call result. And by bringing this up, I, I don't mean to minimize the work that the other employee groups are doing because we're all pulling hard on the oars to do what you've seen in the company. But that EIL program, it, just because of the nature of bringing pilots back and the training delays that they impose, that it, it really makes a material difference that we are coming back from an EIL program as opposed to a traditional furlough the economics of the program were compelling to the company, and the impact that a furlough would have had obviously is compelling to this pilot group. And likewise, obviously, a furlough is much, much harder to recover from than the way that that leave program was structured. And look at how quick the light switch came back on. I mean, look at this year. Look at this summer. It's, it's no secret that the airlines are struggling. They're trying to do more with less pilots. They're trying to do as much, you know, they're, they're basically... They're, they're not having a great summer as regards statistics and getting it done. So, you know, even ourselves, we've reduced our schedules down based on the amount of pilots that we have. So as that light switch came back on again, thank God that we were in the position where we still have pilots qualified in their seats. Hey, Will, a couple of questions have come up following that flight ops update from David Metz about some things that were contractually related, the trade desk, deadhead release. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, and, and of course, early notification for training displacements. Those are just various pain points that are easily addressed within the current agreement. They didn't require a separate MOU or a letter of agreement in LOA to move forward on. Things that have come up with our contract compliance feedback and direct pilot feedback, that you know these are pain points that needed to be addressed. And so uh, when the topics came up at the table, since they are within the confines and the structure of the current agreement, it was a, an easy problem, solution, solve it, and then go ahead and move forward on it right now. It was not a tough lift, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. And so by solve it, you mean have them actually follow the contract? Yeah, in, so, in some cases. And we've talked about the, the trade desk for some time now, and I think the pandemic was the uh, the force that you know took took away that trade desk, but not only having a trade desk, but timely responses, and they were quite agreeable to knowing that that had value as well as did uh, early notification for training displacements and that type of a thing. Especially if you're going to commute in, you certainly don't want to wait for the punchline. And then we uh, achieved clarity. It took uh, a little bit, but we achieved clarity on this deadhead release issue. And so uh, you know it was nice to get that done and done right now. Hey, Will, on the subject of MOUs, something that we got a bit of feedback there a few weeks ago, especially with the bid, with the two and three times the re, rerunning of that bid, a lot of folks seem to think that that was um, caused by the MOU that we put in place for the training department for the Airbus. Uh, can you expand on that at all? Yeah, we did on the, the last podcast, but I'm happy to speak to it again. And that's simply not true. I mean, it is a manual process. And as a manual process, you find errors, you find mistakes, primarily in and around who's eligible to bid 
and or you know a simple clerical mistake when you run the bid and there was already existing issues that needed to be addressed and that the bid was going to have to be rerun there was an eligibility to bid issue specifically with a pilot and so we were able to we would have been rerun anyway but we were able to rerun it coincidentally with the MOU in place and that did save several pilots from uh, involuntary downgrades so it had value so based on that again, and this, I'm, I'm going to take something that's near and dear to my heart. I know people are tired of hearing me say this, but Dave Metz put out another flight ops update this week where he said there was going to be another bid coming up. And I just want to take the opportunity again. When there's a displacement bid, please bid what you want and want what you bid and make sure that you protect yourself. If you're at the bottom of any list, actually, if you're anywhere towards a vulnerable demographic at all in your seat, you know, you're a fairly junior captain, you're a fairly junior first officer, or you're in a base that's getting displaced. Even if you're not in a base that's getting displaced and you're fairly junior, please, please bid accordingly. Make sure you bid what you want and then back it up with your current seat. Because what's going to happen to you, and after the dust settled on the last bid, again, there was a few folks that ended up getting taken for a ride by 24E6, which is not a pleasant experience. We've talked about this multiple times, so I'm not going to drone on about it. But just for God's sake, bid what you want, want what you bid, because it's not a pleasant experience. So that's my plug. Yeah, I would say a comprehensive defensive bid, I believe, is the term that we like to use or sometimes informally say don't die without a will. Always bid what you want and then make sure that you backstop it with your current position or where you'd like to end up just to, to make sure that as that process runs and you go from the award phase to the displacement reduction phase that you're protected. Well, Chris, let's turn back to you and talk more specifically about the negotiations. And we are recording on a Saturday and your latest negotiating committee update went out yesterday as we're recording. So it it really left the impression that a lot is happening and, and that we're, we're moving at a, a, a much faster rate and B, we may actually be getting close. So can you flesh out a little bit more of, of what's remaining? Yeah, you know, I, I know that it seems like things are still going slow, but the the reality is, is that not much happened for a long time. And then within the last month and a half, there has been a, a lot of movement towards getting a lot of the issues that you've identified done and across the table. So when we're talking about scope and work rules in particular, you know, those issues are really complicated. So it does take a lot of time and effort first of all, to make sure the language is right and reflects the concepts. While we did have language that we proposed, you know, you still have to work through the, the different issues that come up as you look to implement it and make sure both sides fully understand it and are on the same page with how it's going to be implemented moving forward. And we want to make sure that that clarity is important. And then also just how it's balanced and, you know, works with other pieces. And, and we've talked about this before, how scheduling um, in one area affects scheduling in another. And we need to continually make sure we're getting the right balance as we address your quality of life concerns. So that yeah. being said, oh, go ahead, Will. Yeah, I was going to kind of jump on that, that as somebody who's kind of been involved from day one on this process, I think that's what kind of strikes me the most is that it's something where you can build, it takes so long to build to that 90% threshold. 
and you get that question a lot, like, you know, why haven't we seen a TA or why haven't we seen an agreement? But it really, it does take a lot of work to get things to about that 90% threshold. And then it just gets down to economics and how things interact with each other, as you said, and you, you put those Tetris pieces together. And that's kind of the stage that we're at. And I know it may seem a little bit surprising to pilots that it just seems like we've had progress, 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 but things are things are coming together. Yeah, I have to say that's probably the most common question that I get is just, you know, we're not we're not hearing the usual level of transparency and we're not seeing the timeline. People are kind of like, you know, why isn't this done already? And which I mean, I think it's fair to say it's rather I'd rather get it right than get it done sooner. But Chris, I don't know if you want to address that at all. Yeah, no, I mean, from the outside, I know it looks like things aren't moving quickly, but the reality is things are moving really fast. So we are passing a lot of paper each meeting and a lot of the issues that we're proposing are getting agreed to. Now, just like we said before, uh, we've worked hard to make sure you guys understand the types of issues that we're addressing, and we're still working hard to address those issues. But all along, we've said that the tools that we use, right, we're going to keep working to make sure we have the right ones and that they uh, work the way that we intend them to work. So right now, as we're moving things quickly, getting a lot of the stuff agreed to, and we pull stuff together, we need to make sure we're working carefully with the reps. Now, again, we're getting the balance right. And then now um, that we've got, I think, a lot of the structure pulling together pretty well. And in a month and a half, that's a significant feat. I think it says a lot to the work Rob and Drew and others have done in this team to prepare in the event that the company decided they were ready to start moving something forward. And then so now, uh, you know, we told them that we'd like the, the company rather that we'd like to get a economic proposal back from them next week. And then at that point, I think we'll have a and things won't be done, but we'll have a good picture of where we are and what is remaining when we go talk to the MNC. Yeah. And I think buried in that is kind of one of those same questions that I always get as well, which is the how can we move forward when we don't know the landscape of the industry? And uh, I mean, we can address that directly that the, the pilots have been very, very clear about the problems that need to be solved, the issues that need to be fixed. And that's easy to build structure around fixing and solving those types of things. And then, as I said on the last podcast, too, to leave things blank that have to be directly addressed when we talk about things like economics or whatnot, um, or how other properties are solving things. We have to make sure it applies here and it would solve here. But uh, you know, to leave things at that 90% stage, and then we have both landscape, MEC input, feedback, pilot feedback, and, and that's kind of the stage where we are, where we kind of now, we receive all of that and we've solved the problems and then we add the extra values and then we move forward. Yeah, just a yeah. reminder, you know, we've been uh, talking to other groups as we've been working through this. So we've talked to everybody else who's in negotiations, keeping in touch with them and, and understanding how they're solving problems as they work through it. Again, we're focused on your issues. We want to make sure that we're on track with where this cycle is going and not looking back to the uh, past one. So that still remains a priority. And I think, you know, there's been some visibility on how things are going at other properties as they've moved through negotiations. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen as well. So I think it's also important to remember as we go through this that Alaska has industry-leading profit margins right now. So there's a lot of opportunity here to make sure we get your expectations uh, taken care of at the end of the day. But um, you know what we 
don't want to do is just sit down and wait for no reason when we have uh, met your expectations. So again, we're working carefully to make sure we're getting your input. We're listening to the MEC carefully and we're driving this home based on what your expectations are. Hey, Chris, I, I get that there, you know, we don't want to wait and not have a better deal, wait and not have a pay increase while other carriers negotiate. But in the same token, are, are there any protections that we're building in place to, to make sure that we don't almost immediately become way below the industry again? Yeah, and just to clarify, I'll answer that more directly in just a second. But waiting doesn't always lead to a, a better deal. I mean, it may or may not, right? It's just kind of a, a balance of where you are. You want to make sure that when the deal looks right to the pilots, to you, that's what we're looking for that there's no reason we should just wait just because. And so uh, that being said, uh, yes, there's the uh, other aspect where we have proposed, uh, I think Bruce calls it schmuck insurance, just to make sure that uh, pay rates uh, pop up, you know, after we negotiate something, it, you know, let's say we're on the front edge of something that we're not left behind again, right? I know that's on everybody's mind. And uh, I mean, uh, and it's in front of our mind, I'll tell you, because uh, we, we want to make sure that we don't come out of this looking good for two weeks and then four months down the road, you're like, well, that, that didn't work out. That's that's not at all what we're trying to do. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll jump on that, too, and just simply say that that's part of my regular ongoing conversations with the other chairman as well, is that we regularly socialize kind of what's going on with each other just to make sure that everybody understands where they're moving as they solve their individual property problems, that type of a thing. There, there's dialogue and things like that. And as I said on the last podcast, when it's right. And when it solves the problems that we need to solve for our pilots, then it's right. There's no strategic advantage to waiting. Matter of fact, I get just as much feedback from, from some pilots who are saying, no, 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 hurry up, get it done, because they fear things like recession and that type of a thing. And Will, I know you're not saying this, but uh, I, I do want to emphasize one more time that what we're not saying is trying to get a deal done quickly for the sake of getting it done quickly. That's not at all it. We want to get the right deal. Yeah, and that's particularly important this go around because we're making some major changes to the things that really affect our lives, scheduling, for example. And so you you can't rush that process. You've got to make sure it's it's done in a way that will be effective and have the results that we're that we need. Exactly. Yeah, the and major it, changes. I mean, when we're looking at a lot of this stuff, I mean, we've you know widened the credit window significantly. So when you're trading, there's a lot more space to move stuff around. There's other trading tools to help kind of lubricate the system. You know, we've looked at a trip construction and making sure that Alpha has uh, more input into that for your quality of life. You know, as we work through PBS, we're making sure the language is clear. Alpha has appropriate control there. You have the trust and transparency to uh, make sure that that system has the accountability that's required to give all of you trust that it's actually going to work. So, I mean, we can go on and on reserve system, right? There's already been significant changes agreed to. We're still looking at more and we're seeing how that's going to piece together, but quality of life and then how reserve impacts trading are all front of mind as well. So right. there are going to be a lot of big pieces there as we kind of work through all of this and I'll kick it to you in a minute, Will. Sorry to step on you there. There's been a lot done already. Uh, again, we're not working to just wrap it up for no reason, but again, bring it to the MEC. If it looks right, then we'll bring it to you guys at that point to see uh, what your opinions are on it. Uh, and see whether it passes ratification muster. 
Yeah, and I think you did a, a very nice job there of explaining a lot of the things, the topics that are being addressed. But And I was just going to simply jump on that and say that also the pain points that we've heard from pilots in terms of reassignment and creeping delays and things like that, that we've, uh, we've done a, a good job of making sure the company is incentivized to do the right thing and the pilots are compensated in the right way when there's either irregular ops or they have options. And that plays right into quality of life. And we've heard you loud and clear. Yeah, and they're all underpinned by uh, job protections and job security that give validity to this contract, which has been another primary goal we've heard from the pilots. So, you know, it's kind of the outline which should track closely to what, you know, we've been talking about all along. And then once we talk to the MEC and they're comfortable with the direction, then we can start communicating more about how the pieces are pulling together because we don't want to be in front of them. They're representing you and making sure that we're staying on track. So that's a big reason right now, if we're not getting into more detail, that we're just being careful. Because if uh, we need to go and, you know, make an adjustment here or there, we want to make sure what we're telling you uh, reflects the way this contract's actually coming together. The timeline on it is actually appropriate, too, because we're basically going to get things to that 80, 90 percent threshold and then have a chance for the MEC to have their their full read, deep dive on where we are. They'll have their hands on the thrust levers and uh, and have all their input, and that'll govern our path forward in, in August. Yeah, Chris, you hit on something there that I want to make sure that, because, it, it, again, it's a very common question, and we, we brushed off it earlier, but is it fair to say that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, I do get a lot of, um, you know, we hear it too from P2P feedback, et cetera. You know, what's, what's been negotiated? What's going on? Why haven't we seen this? They're used to a level of where we would come out and we would put out exactly what was negotiated down to the T. And now all of a sudden there's less being put out and there's just general concepts being thrown out on a Friday. My explanation to most people is that until the economic package is seen and put on the table, that has tentacles that run all the way through the contract. And it's not really fair to say that, or it's not um, something that we would do is put out stuff that is agreed to right now until we see how it all fits. But also, too, you just hit on it, and that's something I want to emphasize, is that the MEC has to see this and approve it before it can go out to the pilots. But am I missing anything there, or is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I do want to add something. I, what you said is exactly right. But then uh, in addition to that, it's easier to go out and say, this is what we're going after if you're just changing a piece of a contract, affecting a, a section of it. But when you're making a big systematic change, right, the way all those pieces work together, it dramatically affects the whole thing. And this is kind of what I was getting at. So we just want to be careful, you know, as we pull one piece together, if it's going to adjust another one, because again, we're not looking at each of these things in isolation and just trying to fix one element. We're looking at how all of it works together and making a big scheduling system change. And so we just want to be a little more cautious about getting out in front of where the MEC is based on your expectations before we start communicating how this is actually shaping up. So that's another uh, important piece of it, I think. Will, I want to circle back real quick to a comment you made about the process and make sure that I heard that right. You, In your analogy about Tetris and all of the pieces coming together and all of the work that has gone on to bring that to pretty close to an organized whole, you were talking about the work that's gone on in the last like two months or so, right? Or did you mean, because we, we started this process about three years ago, but it's really in earnest happened in the last couple of months. I, you know, I've heard some people on the negotiating committee say we've done as much in the last five weeks as we've, or we've done more in the last five weeks than we have in the last three years. Can you put a fine point on that? 
Yeah, I think uh, I certainly will, that I'm kind of struck by finally seeing how the pieces come together. Like I said, you you address individual problems and you write individual language, and then how that all threads together to become a comprehensive system. That's the point that we had in a, uh, a negotiating committee meeting on Wednesday, which is kind of taking a look at how everything is finally starting to thread together and how that really does combined to become a, a system, if you will. We've been building a lot of structure, but now all those pieces are starting to come together. If you want to talk about especially Section 25, there's just like a million little tiny pieces that as you put it together, it becomes a system that is designed to solve pilot problems or incentivize scheduling, like I said, to behave in a, in a certain way that has less impact on the pilots. And that has been the, the piece that I guess I'm somewhat struck by. The other element that you said is, yes, it, it really boils down to when you have a motivated dance partner, you can get a lot done in a short period of time. And that has been the difference since that April 1st picket and since the strike authorization vote, or as I've always said, whatever, I don't care what motivated the company to become engaged, but um, we've been able to sit down and very productively discuss the problems, the solutions, and how to how to get there from here. And it, it has not taken that much time. And so it does feel a little bit like whiplash, I think, to the average line pilot, but the, that's the difference, as you said, motivation. Yeah, and just to be clear, you know, there's still uh, difficult issues. So it's not like everything's just coming along. We're pushing hard to make sure that we're getting you the contract you deserve on all of these places. And there's pressure points and it takes work to work through a few of these. But by and large, you know, we are working quickly through the major ones and narrowing it down to the more difficult issues. And so uh, that's really, I think, what we're coming down to here pretty soon is uh, how do we get through these uh, last pieces that are more difficult to work through. There's a couple of steep mountains to climb, in particular, obviously, economics and that type of thing. Maybe not that steep, but there's a couple of pressure points with, that need to be addressed, and we're right there. Yeah, and let's let's also consider the environment, too. We just want to have one of our executive vice presidents this week make a comment, which was, considering current trends, we expect third quarter revenues to be up 16 to 19% on a capacity is, that is down 5 to 8% versus 2019. So I would hope that this economic package reflects the contribution that this pilot group is making. They're making more money and with less staff. Yeah, absolutely. This notion that there should be some kind of Alaska discount, I, I, those days are over. I mean, that, that just has no relevance to the world today. Yeah, I think that the, the showing on April 1st directly communicated that's no longer a working philosophy. Yeah, and I will say we uh, at the table... You know, we discussed what we'd expect from a compensation proposal uh, back from the company or where the pilot's expectations are. So we showed them charts. Uh, we showed the company charts that show 2019 uh, pay rates adjusted for inflation. We showed them charts that show how far behind we are from our peers right now. All of our peers. I mean, Hawaiian, JetBlue, on up when we're looking at pay rates. And that doesn't even include, you know, other issues that affect your W-2 like rigs and uh, credit values where we are, are behind the industry currently, not even looking ahead. And we, you know, showed how people have had pay raises over the last few years that we haven't had. And how we continue to fall behind. And I mean, sure, uh, work rules and scope are essential parts of this contract, but that doesn't mean that uh, we can then just fall behind on pay rates. I mean, we understand, we said all along that we need to be uh, alongside the industry as far as a total package as we're looking forward it should look 
intuitively uh, to pilots like something that is attractive and represents the values and the contributions they've had to this company. And frankly, if they want to keep people here, if they want to bring new pilots on board, I mean, we all want this to be a great airline, but we can't be uh, talking about this Alaska discount. You know, we're going to be at 91% airline as we're moving forward if we want this to be a good place to work. This has to be a place that values you fully, not values you at 91%. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, philosophically, I'd like to point out that expecting to be paid in the way that you're describing is by no means charity or, or some kind of gift that they give us. We are the ones who are generating the wealth for this company and other work groups as well. And and we, we want a piece of what we help to generate. Well, and that's all <clears throat> All fair too. And I guess the last point that I'll put on some of this is that if I was at the 30K perspective from the exec level, I would be deeply concerned still about the attract and retain and retention issues that still confront us. They've got to be able to compete effectively with their peers, not just on a commercial level, but also on an attraction and retention level. They've got to be able to get the best and brightest pilots. And that starts with a contract. We're at 130, Will, correct? Is that the last I heard for attrition this year? I'd have to double check it and look, but we're awfully close to that number. Yes. Okay. That's that's kind of, that's a lot. Yeah. And to be clear, that's does not include retirements, right? That's just people saying, I'm, I'm out of here. That's, yeah, that's correct. And it's nearly triple last year's record attrition. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's disappointing and really shameful. It shouldn't be like that. Hopefully it won't be after this next contract. Contract is the first step, you bet. Chris, would you help us understand the process and and what we can expect going forward? Let's assume that things continue at this pace. And when you do talk about economics, it matches what our expectations are and, and we're ready to move forward. What will that look like? Yeah, so we'll, we'll go talk to the MEC. And we'll make sure that we're careful as we walk through the final details that we're following their direction. And then the negotiating committee for the bylaws will vote to determine whether or not we think that the tentative agreement we've reached meets the expectations of the MEC. Then it goes to the MEC to make sure. So then uh, they're going to go and vote on it as a body. And uh, if again, then they go through that check valve, then it gets sent out to you at that point as a tentative agreement and uh, subject to ratification by majority pilot group uh, vote. So, you know, I want to be clear, our goal is not to just squeak this thing over the line, right? And just hope it gets over the hump. It's to make sure that it fully reflects what you guys expect. And like I said, from the beginning, you know, write down what your expectations are at the beginning of this uh, contract. And then as we, uh, you know, it goes to a vote, I want you guys to uh, take a look at it and uh, see if this hits the mark for you before it gets finalized and becomes the the rule book for your quality of life, pay, benefits, et cetera. Yep. And of course, you know, along with part of that process, when you open it up for a vote and you're voting, there will be extensive education pieces. And I will call them education pieces to explain, because as I've said, these things are complex. I think it's easy to sit down in front of the pilots and say, these are the problems that you identified and here's what we were able to achieve. And hopefully it solves those problems and you'll be the arbiter. You get to vote. Yeah. And to your point about the Tetris, there, there's lots of pieces that fit together. So you, you have to look at the whole product to really see what, how our life is going to be different. 
Yeah, exactly. I think every, every pilot in the world has their key issues that are pain points for them. And obviously, that's the whole point of a ratification vote is that you get the group consensus that things have been done and done right. But this is that stage of the game where we get a lot of individual pilot feedback that says, this is the absolute one most important thing to me. And sometimes that falls right in line with lots and lots of pilots, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, that's the beauty of the, the group ratification we'll know whether we've got the collective will of the of the pilot group harnessed by the time we get there. So it seems common that as you go through this process of negotiating a new contract, periodically there are these watershed moments where, or, or almost like a fork in the road, where negotiations are maybe going to go one way or the other. And it seems to me like we're about at one of those now. We've got a lot done with the the contract, all of the Tetris pieces, Will, as, as you mentioned, and we're about to get into the economics and we'll know what's going to happen next, right? From that, is is that a, a fair assessment, Will, do you think? Yeah, I think that there are several critical points during the negotiating process that you reach in which you either need either input from the MEC, input from the pilots, or that things start to come together, kind of, you know, pivot points, if you will. And, uh, you know, we don't necessarily need to pivot here, but we've reached a, a point that is kind of a critical moment in negotiations where we've got a lot of structure done. And now we move on to plugging in the economic values into that structure that we've created. And, uh, you know, it couldn't be more well-timed as I said, when we uh, are looking right here on the cusp of an MEC meeting and uh, and being able to understand where we are with the pilots as well. Yeah, and part of what I mean by that is is we'll know in a in a week or so whether the company is, as you said earlier, still a, a good dance partner and, and whether they're willing to come to the table with an economic proposal that, that matches. And so that's what I mean by the watershed. Probably we're close to an agreement or we're going to have more work to do. Right. And that, that kind of gets into, obviously, Ronan's wheelhouse. And I certainly know the the spirit of this pilot group that uh, we don't have to, if they don't respond favorably and if we don't move forward favorably in the next couple of weeks, that uh, this pilot group is obviously ready and, and Ronan's ready, as we've said on other podcasts. So uh, that's not a concern. But candidly, this is a, I guess, to use your term, watershed moment for that forward progress to continue in order to to finally tie these things together and, and move to where we need to be able to present an agreement in principle, you know, to the MEC and then a TA to the, uh, to the pilot group. So let me ask directly, as we're at this moment, what should the pilots be doing? Well, I think the most important thing for the pilots to do right now is to be hypervigilant and to be informed and to be aware. And as we say, these aren't throwaway comments to continue to talk to one another and have that dialogue. But as we get to these these critical phases where your input matters and where your awareness matters, pilots need to absolutely be reading everything that is put out and understand and be calling their reps and obviously having conversations with their reps to uh, you know make sure that they understand uh, the landscape. And uh, as we've said on the last podcast too, I guess I will add too that this is where rumor control just becomes super critical because rumors find seeds from all types of sources. That's why those conversations with your reps are just critical or to be able to reach out to anybody within the union structure and find out what's really moving, what's happening. Get the true story. I'm also gonna I'm also gonna add to that, Will. I mean it's it's one of the things where you really need to be having conversations with the guys you're flying with. You need to be having conversations with the guys in crew rooms because you know, I recently ran into a new hire who's about six months or eight months on property and never listened to a podcast, didn't sign up for the emails, et cetera, et cetera. 
you know, even though he's a probationary pilot and technically wouldn't get a vote in the event that there is an agreement reached, it still behooves him to educate himself because then he in turn can educate somebody else. The information needs to be out there. Everybody has a responsibility right now. If you're going to have a vote, use it, but use it wisely and come out of a position from education. Don't come at it from a position of emotion. Make sure that you know exactly what is in each section as we proceed forward here. And we will go out of our way to make sure that that information is out there in a timely fashion so people can ask the questions they need answered. But just to, to I, I want to really, really emphasize Will's point. Stay away from the, the rumors. Stay away from the web boards. You know, a lot of that stuff that's on there is just sheer conjecture and what people think. And people's opinion, really, honestly, if it's coming from a position of education, that's fine. But just people making stuff up, that's where things go sideways. Yeah, and I think that what your point is really critical is that the conversations, this is what uh, I say and the other officers say to every new hire class that comes in, is that your opinion, your perspective, your life experience under different work roles, wherever you came from, is relevant from day one. Keep those conversations moving because that's where you get a broader, more of, if you will, a 30K perspective on issues at hand. And I think that that's maybe what we've seen as we get towards the end of things is that people tend to focus more at the 5,000 foot level and the 30K perspective and talking to the people that you're flying with and understanding how all this stuff fits together and works well is going to become critical. And then making sure that you take that informed perspective to your elected leadership so that they can steer the ship. That's the most important thing. And I couldn't put a finer point on it other than that. I like to use the analogy of flying as it relates to rumor control and specifically the cross-check. If you're getting information from one source that seems odd or you don't like, go to another source that you know is giving you reliable information. And in this case, that would be your block rep or a negotiating committee member or maybe someone from the MEC, uh, one of the officers. And actually, this would be a good time to bring up, we are creating an event where you can do this following the MEC meeting. And Ronan, why don't you talk about that? There is the MEC meeting that's happening next week, the 1st or the 4th. But on the night of the 4th, we are going to have an open house at the MEC office. That's the offices right there, um, right next to the Radisson on International Boulevard, where everybody will be present, including various committee chairmen, negotiating committee, all the MEC officers and all the LEC um, reps will all be there. So it's uh, not very kid friendly. There's not a whole, there's not any activities for, uh, for children, but we definitely would encourage uh, pilots and their spouses and bring the kids in tow if, um, if that's, if that's what you need to do. But we absolutely want to get as many people in there as we possibly can. So look for more information on that and communications that are coming out within the next week. So, Will, as we approach the end of this recording, what are some of the things you, you want to make sure people come away with? How, how would you close this out? Well, I think I would start by saying that we are indeed at kind of a pivotal moment, as we've said. We've got a lot of structure put together. We've already said this in the podcast, but it's a pivotal moment. It's an important moment and that we're going to move forward and everybody should be obviously hypervigilant and, and paying attention. The question I think that comes naturally from the pilots then is how will we know, how will we understand whether or not things are actually moving closer, what's the timeline, and I would say look to regular updates, obviously, from us, uh, both from the negotiating committee and probably ongoing podcasts to add a little bit of color as these things start to tie together. And, you know, obviously remind everybody that uh, while we're encouraged by where we are and the shorter runway ahead, as I like to say, that we are 
very much uh, hypervigilant and we're ready to uh, to respond. And I know this pilot group is ready to respond as well if for some reason we don't have uh, ongoing favorable responses from the company on the remaining issues. Well, a common question I think we all get is how long is this going to take? Speak to that a bit because I, I know there is like the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's some things that have to occur before we get there, right? Right. I, I think that the moral of this podcast is simply that we are reaching a point where that runway ahead is a lot shorter than the runway behind. And I would answer that question directly by simply saying that there is no hurry. There is no arbitrary timeline. It has to be right. That's what I said on that last podcast. And that's what I mean on this podcast is it has to be right. It has to address the problems and the concerns that have been identified. It has to be at market. And when we achieve that threshold, that's when we'll be ready. It could be in short order or it could take a little bit longer. I think we also did a decent job of addressing the complexities here because nobody wants the unintended consequences of rushed language, if you will. It's very important to kind of war game out the language that you're writing, the consequences, and make sure that it solves the problem. And I definitely want to give a shout out when we talk about the uh, wargaming and unintended consequences of language to our scheduling volunteers. I mean, everybody from um, Scott Rubin to Jim Tedford to Jake Woods and Ben Brooks and all of the PBS working group volunteers that have really done a good job of looking at language and making sure that it will achieve what it is that we want it to achieve. And we really have a nicely tightly woven fabric coming together in those areas. But that takes time. And that that is to speak to your original question about timeline. When it's right, it's right. When it's ready, it's ready. And I don't mean that to be flippant, but that's, that's the pace that we're moving at. If people move uh, favorably, we can be done relatively quickly. And if we find other issues that have to be you know sewn up just a little bit more tightly, then we're going to take the time to do that. And conversely, just in case things don't go well, we'll be clear about that too, right? Right. Oh, obviously, that's that transparency piece that we always speak to is that uh, you will know. You will know when we reach friction points or if we reach friction points. And uh, I know that this pilot group has the unity, solidarity, and resolve to step up if we find ourselves in that situation. It was demonstrated so clearly on April 1st and in a 99% vote. And and I always, David, the final thought on this is I couldn't be more proud of the professionalism that's been displayed by this pilot group as we've moved through three years, but more specifically moved through this uh, this summer, for, starting in April with the picket. The professionalism that you've demonstrated has absolutely been what has carried us at the negotiating table. And, you know, candidly, the company should realize what's carried them through uh, through a summer. And the most important thing to do at this point is to stay informed, stay engaged, stay motivated, and we'll let you know. All right. Well, thank you very much, Will and everyone else. And I'd like to thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, David Campbell.